This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko was one of the most remarkable and heroic figures of the 20th century. A humble priest who seemed quite ordinary at first glance, Father Jerzy inspired his fellow Poles to stand up for truth and resist communist oppression in Cold War era Poland. A prophet of nonviolence, Father Jerzy was ultimately kidnapped, beaten, and murdered by the Polish secret police, yet his voice wasn't silenced. Joining us to talk about Father Yeje and his legacy is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yeje. Kelly is a longtime social justice activist in the Baltimore, Washington area, who was named Peacemaker of the Year in 2014 by the D.C. Baltimore region of Pax Christi. Of Polish heritage, Kelly is a former Peace Corps volunteer in Peru and Paraguay. She lives in the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. Judith, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It's so great to talk with you. Thank you, George. Before we dive into who Blessed Yeji was, I think it's important for our audience to recall the circumstances in which he was born. Could you describe the kinds of trials Poles were facing under the communist government of that time, especially as it relates to the suppression of the Catholic Church? Yeji was born in 1947, so post-World War II, and Poland began became part of the um, Russian Empire at that time. I mean, all the countries behind the Iron Curtain, of course. Um, Atheism, the church was repressed, given given a very hard time during that whole period, and and priests, priests could be killed just for being priests. Uh, Cardinal Vashinsky, you've probably heard of, was was really the person that kept the church going during that period. He's a he's a, a hero, a prophet, and he's recently been beatified. Um, as far as the priests, they they the secret police. We were monitoring them all the time. They opened files on them when they were in seminary. So it was um, the the whole country was under this kind of control, so to speak, and the church was the one element that resisted. Knowing what he was likely to face in that kind of atmosphere, what inspired Blessed Yeji to become a priest? Well, he grew up in the countryside in northeastern Poland. His family was uh, had a farm, so um, the local priests were the ones that he would have seen had uh, a status and, and uh were admired. He became an altar server early on, so daily mass before school. He had to walk there. Um, he he loved, thanks to his grandmother, who kind of opened his eyes to Maximilian Kolbe, he loved Nepokolanov, the, the place that uh, Maximilian Kolbe created. 
and um, I think he wanted to be a priest there, and then his mom said, mm, maybe you should wait, and eventually he, he went to seminary in Warsaw, and, and the legendary Cardinal Wyszynski was the one who was in charge of the seminary then. He actually loved people, and he really wanted to be an activist priest to help people, so I think that was, he, he just loved the vocation of the priesthood. And you outline a lot of the difficulties he faced as a seminarian, especially after he was called to military service with other seminarians. Could you share some of that with us? Yeah, that was kind of a reprisal by the regime to the outspokenness of Cardinal Vyshinsky. And they usually priests, well, for a long time, priests did not have to do obligatory um, military service like all the men in Poland did, but they created these clerical units of just seminarians hoping to turn them into collaborators or or just that they would lead the priesthood. So, and when Jerzy resisted some of the activities that uh, he was subjected to, they they really cracked down on him. Um, Very, very difficult, those two years, in a very... um, standing at attention for long periods of time with his military kit on his shoulders, uh, put into isolation, just punished severely. So that really affected his health. What overall impact did his experience in the military have on him, especially his health? Um, it, he already had probably some conditions, but his, his thyroid was affected, I believe, just his whole energy level. He did write to his um, seminary advisor saying that um, suffering for Christ was okay. How how lightly one suffers when you know that you suffer for Christ. So I, I think he took on this personalism, you know, that it was his responsibility to resist and 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 not give up. I, I, he was just stubborn, like a lot of Poles, and uh, he wanted to um, to go forward with, with his prayers and, and uh, wearing a rosary ring. I mean, there were all kinds of incidents that he was forced to uh, endure, but, but he did. One of the interesting side notes you mention in your book is that Yerji's given name was actually Alphonse uh, for St. Alphonsus but he changed it at the request of his religious superiors. Could you tell us about that? Yes, he was already almost finished with seminary. He, his nickname for Alphonse was Alec, but um, Alphonse, his proper name, there was some negative connotation there that it was, in Warsaw at least, it was a nickname for pimp. So good Good move on the superior's part to say, find another name, and he chose Jerzyk because of the the link it has to valor. And of course, that's the Polish rendering of George, St. George. Well, you should know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once he was ordained, how does he begin his ministry? What are some of his early, early assignments as a priest? And he was um, given the normal three-year assignments in, uh, in the first one was a small t- 
town outside of Warsaw. He made lots and lots of friends there. He was did well, but he was always kind of sickly. He got transferred at the end of that period to another small town, Anin, outside of Warsaw, also with quite a few days of sickness. And then another parish inside uh, Warsaw proper in Jolibourg. Um But then he, he fainted on the altar and really started to have more... Um, need for medical care and they they finally figured out what he had and it 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 meant that eventually he was put in another parish in Warsaw that uh where retirees would usually go it, it he he couldn't really because of his energy level couldn't have a full-time parish it was just impossible given his health situation how is he different from other priests of that era? In particular, why does he only ask to be called by his first name and, and not receive special titles? Yeah, and I love this story. Just call me Yerge, he said. Um, I, that title of Yerge, the, the priest Yerge, the, the, the divider between regular people and priests, I think he didn't like that. He wasn't comfortable with it. He wanted... As he said, he and a friend at his ordination, he said, we're going to be activist priests. We're not going to be locked inside the rectory. We're going to go out and help as many people as we can. And in order to do that, he had to feel close to them and let them feel close to him. So he was direct. He was friendly. He was inclusive. He did not feel or act superior. And people responded. When he, when he died, there were posters up around Warsaw saying he was one of us. And i that's just my kind of priest. I love that. There was a seismic event in Poland in 1979 when St. John Paul II visited his homeland for the first time as Pope. And Jerzy was actually involved in that visit, organizing first aid stations in Warsaw. What were his responsibilities at that time? And what impact did the preaching of St. John Paul II have on him? Electric. <laughs> um, he was, uh, one of the assignments he had as a priest once he was kind of not in a full-time capacity was to work with nurses and doctors. He did retreats for them and other uh, activities at St. Anne's University Parish. And because he knew all of them, then it was a, a great thing for him to be able to organize uh, medical care, emergency care during the Pope's visit. And, you know, millions of people showed up, and that was a big, big assignment, and he did it really, really well. And then to hear John Paul say, be not afraid. You, you, you people need to think about freedom, and uh, and solidarity was born soon after that. And I think Yerge took it to heart. It was an, another uh, call to personalism that he wanted to do what he could to uh, bring about the dream that John Paul had for Poland. Our guest today is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Jerzy, and we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the inspiring life and the legacy of Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. 
your journey awaits. Guadalupe Radio Network's car raffle starts January 3rd. This luxury car is a beauty. A 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 with a 0 to 60 acceleration of 6.3 seconds. Yet it still logs 36 highway miles per gallon of gas. Safety features include active brake and attention assist. Visit grnonline.com after January 3rd. Raffle tickets are $25 each, 5 for 100. Visit grnonline.com. Help GRN drive home the word of God. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Inside the Pastoral Center of the Church of the Resurrection in Ellicott City, there is a sign that reads, quote, Bring a blanket. It's going to be cold this weekend. Such is life when the masses are held inside a tent. The parish's existing church is undergoing a multi-million dollar renovation expected to be completed in the spring of 2024. In the meantime, more than 300 parishioners fill the 4,000-square-foot heated tent on the property for each liturgy. There have been challenges, but overall, the temporary setting has brought the parish community closer together since the massive tent was put up in September. Monsignor John Deitzenbach, pastor, said there has been a good spirit among the people who worship in the tent. Quote, people say they really like it, he said, and some people say they are willing to do it because they know they're going to end up in a nice church. Funding for the new building came from a capital campaign, and the Church of the Resurrection also had some funds saved. Currently, 2,400 families are members of the parish. The space between the church and the school is also being expanded to include a new main entrance for the church and a new coffee lounge on the ground floor. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. Hi, this is Father Tom Yale of Blessed Sacrament Parish in Alexandria, Virginia. I want to fire you up for the March 1st, 2023 Top Golf Fundraiser with WMET 1160 AM. I participated in the first ever event. Let me tell you, it was a ton of fun. My parishioners came with me and sponsored me in the $25,000 hole-in-one prize. I love Catholic radio, and we need to do all we can to keep it on air so Catholics have a voice in the public square. The bottom line is this. Top golf is a fun way to save souls. All you need to do is show up. My brother priests, please join us for the prizes and a chance to compete with your parishioners. You'll want your team's name on that trophy. Please visit grnonline.com. Click on events. That's grnonline.com. GRN is radio for your soul, and I assure you after this family fun night, every soul in your family will be better off for this good work. God bless you. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Today we're talking about the inspiring life of Blessed Jerzy Popiewuszko, a Polish priest who stood up to the communist government during the Cold War. Our guest is Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Jerzy. Judith, how did Blessed Jerzy get involved in the Solidarity Movement in Poland? You know, he was uh, asked to preach a Mass inside 
the factory in Warsaw. Uh, those steel, um, yeah, they were steel workers. Were in solidarity with the factory workers in Gdańsk, and uh, as soon as he did that, and and they met him and he met them. It was just this love story. He just wanted to help them as much as possible. And then when the uh, martial law crackdown came, he was the one that really reached out to them and and went to trials for those who were interred and um, helped their families and so forth. So it, it was key to him uh, becoming better known. One of the really inspiring stories you recount in your book uh, happened around Christmas time, just after the Polish communists declared martial law in Poland. Yes. And uh, on, on Christmas Eve in Poland, there's this long-standing tradition of sharing unconsecrated bread uh, at Christmas time, and it's a symbol of love and forgiveness. And, and I just love what Blessed Gege did at this time. Could Could you recount that story? Yes, he was, he was, uh, you know, it's a Christmas Eve tradition where you take, uh, pieces of, uh, blessed communion bread and offer it to your family or your friends. He went out into the streets where the soldiers were during martial law and offered them oplatic as a, as a gesture of love and reconciliation. And some of them took it, some of them wouldn't. But they remembered him. I think that's just such an inspiring story, and it, I do too. It, it really sheds light into the kind of person and priest that he was. Well, eventually, he starts organizing and preaching these massive monthly masses for the fatherland, I think they called it. And this was at his parish church at the time of St. Stanislaus in Warsaw. And uh, these attracted 10,000, 20,000 people at a time. Could you tell us what those masses were like and the impact that they had on the country? They were remarkable. Uh, monthly, 7 p.m. Sunday, last Sunday of the month. And people came, and it took great courage, I think, for them to come because sometimes they were surrounded by Zomo and other um, security forces, and they were prevented from getting there, and they, they, they went early. It was He was the light in the darkness during that time. He instilled hope in the people who came. He gave beautiful homilies. He invited actors and actresses and poets to be part of it, to kind of reflect on the history of Poland and how Poland had resisted through many, many centuries. They were brilliant. They were wonderful opportunities for everyone to learn what was going on and to uh, do their own resistance nonviolently. I thought that was I, I sometimes I wonder what would it be like if we had a priest who stood in front of fifteen, twenty thousand people and spoke, and everybody wanted to be there and 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 wanted to hear the truth and and uh, brought about the change that we all want. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously the the Polish government was quite worried about these massive gatherings and the impact that Blessed Jerzy was having on the population. What steps did they start taking against? this uh, priest who, who they saw as a threat. They did all they could to scare him. They threw some thugs through uh, a brick with on it 
through his window of his room. Um, and then the Solidarity folks came and tried to help protect him, and, and, uh, and the police were wanting to interrogate him all the time. And there was surveillance. There were all kinds of harassments and threats, telephone calls. His phone was bugged. I mean, the poor man. It was a very stressful, difficult time, and it would have been easier to stop, but no, he wouldn't do it. He just felt like he had this responsibility, just like when he was in in, in the military um, training. You know, they were trying to break him, and he wouldn't be broken. And, and he didn't seem afraid to die, even though he anticipated his own death. And I love this one quote that you have in your book. It's a quote from him in an interview that uh, he said he would only be afraid if what he was doing was wrong. And he said, if I must die violently, then I prefer to meet death when defending something worthwhile than save my life by refusing to take a stand against injustice. And yeah. Such such a powerful, such a powerful. It's stand. so inspiring. Yes. And I love that, too. How did he ultimately die? Um, security police pretending to be traffic police uh, stopped a car, uh, his car, on the way back from Gdańsk, where he had been uh, at a mass. Bidgosh, sorry. On the way, well, there was one from Gdańsk, and there's the second one was from Bidgosht. Uh, his driver stopped uh, against his better judgment, and uh, but Yersha said, "No, let's 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 talk to these people." And then they they beat him and threw him in a trunk. Uh, he tried to escape several times. He was beaten again and again, and finally they tied him up so that his body was going to be weighted down by stones. Uh, attached to his legs, threw him in a reservoir. He may have been a he may have been alive then. Like we think he was right before midnight on October nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, and his body disappeared under the Vistula, the Vistula River. You you might expect that as beloved as he was among the population, that there might be a massive uprising against the government or something like that, but there was quite a different reaction to his death, and I, I think that speaks to to his message of nonviolence. Could you talk about that a bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, <clears throat> there was a strong reaction for sure, but it was nonviolent. They did not rise up. They did not become violent, and I think they were in keeping with what Yerzhe taught and what he wanted. And hopes for reconciliation were what eventually came to change the system in the country. It took a while, but in 89, the system changed. How do you think that kind of message of spiritual resistance as opposed to taking up arms can be applied today? There, there are so many forms of injustice today. Are, are there ways we can apply his approach in today's you know I think so of course I'm an activist and I think that's what what we're all called to do he's got a beautiful set of now I may have to put the phone down in order to find it here but you know speak aha 
We have to speak the truth when others are silent, express love and respect when others sow hatred, be silent when others speak, pray when others curse, help when others do not want to help, forgive when others cannot. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's marching orders for all of us, right? Absolutely. And where does his canonization cause stand today? Well, I've asked a couple of people today, and I said, is there any news? And they said, no, we're waiting on a confirmed miracle. Now, I put in the book the story of the miracle of the man in France who had leukemia and was cured right then and there by uh, by prayers to Yerge. Somehow that didn't didn't get picked up by the Vatican. They investigated it, so... I'm not sure what to tell you. I thought it was a perfect miracle, but <laughs> they're saying they're, they, they, we have to have another one. So you, let's all work on that. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of people praying. <laughs> yes. And how can people get your book? Um, like you, they can go to the Shrine of the National Conception Bookstore and um, Shrine of the Immaculate Conception Bookstore in D.C. or... Um, Go to my website, and I will respond and send books out that way. And what is, what is your website? Uh, just call me Yerge.com. Great. Well, our guest today has been Judith Kelly, author of Just Call Me Yerge. Judith, thanks so much again for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Oh, you're so welcome. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.